1: or do something a little more
2: epic
1: and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: Matt George of ABC10. Matt George, by the way. Did you see Matt the other night?
2: Where? at, At the game. No, I didn't, Matt see, I looked didn't like, see
3: anybody. Matt, well, that's because you was at your court courtside seats. No,
2: I was right next to you guys. Nobody looked.
3: No one that's saw true. you. You weren't
4: there. No. You weren't there.
3: See? Okay. You, Matt you comes didn't come up.
4: down to the, the media room or nothing. You didn't come say hi, nothing. You were too busy with your people. Well, I'll yeah. stall them out there.
3: We were working at the ice rink up until 7 o'clock, so I'm going to stall them out a little bit there. I got there, time. But Matt, I went to give Matt a hug. I didn't I mean, Oh, Matt. Matt looked like Is, at least 1.5 million.
2: That's how you feel, Matt. Man, he Look looked me.
3: good. Black suit. That's how you feel. Yeah, he looked good.
4: It's don't Monopoly money. It's Monopoly don't money. Hurt
3: him. Man, that man looked good. Uh, Matt George with us. Um, Matt, I wish we were about back-to-back wins. Hell, at this point, I wish we were just talking about the Warriors game on, on <laughs> Tuesday night uh, or the play-in tournament. But, and we could talk about all of that stuff, there was a game last night. And I think, uh, as KC and I uh, talked about to start the show, the most frustrating aspect of last night's game was was the way so many people predicted that it would.
4: This is how I want you guys to understand how important you are to me, because over the course of that game, at least five or six times I was thinking, dang it, now I have to be upset and talk about this nonsense instead of what happened in the Warriors game on d and KC tomorrow. Like I can't just have nights nice things. The Kings finally beat the Golden State Warriors. And of course they got a back-to-back in between the time that I come on. So, so next time this happens, we're, we're moving the schedule around. Uh, James Ham can, can scoot over and share because I'm, I'm coming in on Wednesday after a Warriors win. Cause I can be my obnoxious self there, Fair but yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. Cause I, and I do have
3: a note that you want to talk about CM Punk. I didn't forget.
4: Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Absolutely. That too. But I I was listening to you guys yesterday with James and and D'Lo, you said the exact thing you said like, like James, I feel like this game is going to go one of two ways. Either the Kings are going to get blitzed or the Kings are going to look amazing tonight. And I think everybody coming into the golden one center felt the same way, except everybody, or at least myself and the people that I were talking to were leaning more towards what happened last night was going to happen. We've seen two second night of a back-to-back games for the Sacramento Kings now, two blowouts. Now, one was the worst of the season in New Orleans. Last night's game, at least the Kings got a pop for Malik Monk, making it a 13-point game with six minutes left. And it actually felt like the Kings had a chance. It That's did. what's crazy. Hey, six yeah. and a half minutes, 13 points, maybe. Mark Jones coming back.
3: Things are getting interesting at the Golden <laughs> One and Like, oh, man. Oh, man,
4: I, I initially had like an eye emoji tweet in, on Twitter, and then I deleted it aggressively because I'm like, I, I don't want to I can't feel happy about this game becoming a 13 point game here with six and a half minutes left <laughs> in the fourth quarter. But like I, I, I'm not and I said this on the podcast last night, like I'm I'm not uh, spoiler alert. I'm not an, uh, an NBA caliber athlete or an athlete, <laughs> period. I don't know what the exertion of a second night of a back-to-back is on you physically or mentally. And a lot of people think it was more of the mental than the physical for the Kings last night. But I'm pretty sure you should not be being blown out every time you play the second night of a back-to-back. Mm. The Kings aren't making any excuses. It's a small sample size. They're going to have more back-to-backs going forward. Uh, and I think they'll be just fine. But two back-to-backs in and in both games, the Kings just look gassed, drained, to shelve themselves. Uh, and and poor De'Aaron Fox, man, probably looking around going, is anybody else going to help me play basketball? Because I played the most minutes the night before. I'm dropping 40 points, and ain't nobody closer than 15. I I feel bad for five last night.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is what we talked about earlier. I mean, they, they have to find a way. We all know it. Everybody always talks about it. Oh, second game of back-to-back, going to be tired, going to be sluggish. I said earlier, hey, go get a C4. Go go get go get something to make sure your energy's up. Go get you a prime Red Bull, whatever you need. Noah, so it's something, but you can't come out that, that. I feel like a lot of the times, and I'm not an NBA player, don't really understand like the the whole situation of mentally trying to get ready for a back to back. I don't get all that, but if you see it there in front of your face, like this is always going to happen feels like they just kind of let it happen and they ch- not the kings in general but the people in the league like just kind of let it happen like chalk it up ah uh-huh. second night of the back back to back like it's that's just what happens like no you got to find a way to not let that happen
4: no i agree with you and and it feels like an 82 game season is a long season and i kind of asked De'Aaron about that after the game It's like how how should or how do you handle like the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs of you have a big comeback victory over the Golden State Warriors where you're feeling yourselves is like we're going to take positives away from this. But there's also plenty of negatives from that Warriors game because the Kings did not play well in that game. The Warriors just fell apart and Draymond Green decided to be the Kings hero and I appreciate him for that. I'm sure we'll get into that later, but like the kings didn't play well so how much do you take away from that game and then how much do you take away from the game the night after where you go down as by as much as 25 never really had a chance on your home floor Granted, it was the second night of a back-to-back, and you're missing one of your starters in Keegan Murray, but you never really had a chance to win that game. Like, and and De'Aaron was 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 transparent about like you have to have short-term memory. Like, they're not using it as an excuse; they're not dismissing it. They're certainly going to try to figure out how to improve and fix the mistakes that they've made in these back-to-backs so far. But you you can't dwell on it. He said the word he uses: you can't mourn losses in the NBA. Right? You just kind of have to move on. But sometimes, Kenny, to your point, I feel like when you're playing an 82 game season, it's like, okay, I can get away with every once in a while, every like, it's just not our night. You know what? Let's, let's, let's keep some gas in the tank a little bit. And again, they're the athlete I'm not. So maybe that's what's needed in order to play all 82 plus deep into the playoffs. Maybe that's what you got to do. But I would just, I would like to see a little more fight. And what frustrated me the most, what I didn't understand the most out of last night is again, I know De'Aaron Fox is a superstar. He's an MVP candidate, top 10 player in the league right now. But he played 40 minutes the night before, scored 29 points on a bad offensive night, but guarded literally every player that the Golden State Warriors threw out there, was aggressive attacking the basket, was aggressive distributing, uh, going for steals, going for blocks, grabbing rebounds. Like De'Aaron Fox did all the dirty work in that win against the Golden State Warriors in 48, or rather 40 minutes. He comes back the next night, and with the exception of Sasha Vizenkov and, and a little bit of burst from Malik Monk, like that's the only energy that the Kings had. So, how is the guy that played 40 minutes the night before giving you all the energy and all the effort and all the hustle and all the intensity? And guys like Trey Lyles, Harrison Barnes, Chris Duarte, like these guys that played maximum 20, 25 minutes the night before, maybe a little bit more for Harrison. I think he was like 32 or something like that. How are those the guys that are getting blown by and beaten on the defensive end every single possession? They look slow. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Your leader played 40 minutes. He's playing. He's doing the job. And I get you sometimes need your star to carry you through when the rest of the team isn't playing well. But it wasn't just De'Aaron making up for a bad shooting night for the Kings. It was De'Aaron making up for the Kings being a, a, a runway to the rim. Every mm. single possession, like there was zero perimeter defense for Sacramento last night. Kawhi, Paul, James, all of them took full advantage of that.
3: You bring up the perimeter defense. Um, De'Aaron brought up defense in the press game in the in the post game press conference as well. I'm going to ask you how much of an impact is Keegan Murray's absence? You just laid out a couple of Hall of Famers there, very very capable scores more than capable scores. How much is Keegan Murray's absence impacting this team on the defensive end?
4: Guys, I think Keegan Murray, if he's not the best defender on the team, he's top two or top three already, which might not be a good thing. But I would argue Keegan Murray's the most important defender on the Kings team. Because that wing position is arguably, I mean, I know the point guard is incredibly important, but like wings in terms of like scoring and, and being able to defend wings, I think is essential. It's the foundation to a good defense is having someone who can handle an opposing team's wing. Mm-hmm. And the Los Angeles Clippers are loaded with play like Paul George didn't have to do much last night to win and he is capable of going off at any time Kawhi Leonard's been struggling this season he finally goes for 30 plus and he didn't look like he had to work that hard James Harden scored 17 of his first 20 uh, of his 24 points 17 of them came in the first quarter so like I'm not saying Keegan Murray could have guarded all of them but I I have a a feeling the Kings perimeter defense and especially the defense on Kawhi Leonard would have been significantly better had Keegan Murray been out there so to answer your question D'Lo I I think it's a, a major impact now again if Keegan Murray in his second year is the best defender on your team, yeah, you probably have a problem still. And that's that's for Mike Brown and this this coaching staff to ch- still try to figure out. But when it comes to defending wings, defending forwards, Keegan's been the guy this season. And at the very least, he's done what Mike Brown has asked against stars, which is just make them work. You can't necessarily stop him. You can't stop Steph. You can't stop Kawhi or you can't stop Paul George, but just make them work. And Keegan's done that better than anybody else on this team so far.
2: Uh, he does a great job of it so far. Um, and just, you know, we talk about his defense, but it's just an overall player, you know. Mm-hmm. Overall, one of your top players, mm-hmm. he's been gone uh, for about a week or so, a little more than a week. So y- you're you're going to miss him. Um, one of the other guys that is one of their best players, second best, third best, whatever the case may be, is DeMontis Sabonis. In the last mm-hmm. two games, um, mm-hmm. he hasn't had – these you know great games numbers wise and and even just in real life like I don't think he's played great I don't want to you know sugarcoat it or anything like that um, is there something that needs to be watched with that in your opinion like are you feeling some type of way about uh, the last two nights we, we've seen him play kind of below his, his his average
4: yeah there's only one aspect of last night's game with Sabonis that was completely unacceptable to me and I'll get to that in a second because. Like even even in the Warriors' loss, like he didn't play well. And again, you want to see against any team, like there, no team more than the Warriors, you want to see Demond Sabonis play well and kind of make a statement. And he's played decently so far against the Warriors so far this season. I think he played pretty well, if I'm not mistaken, in the home opener, which of course the Kings lost. But I think, I mean, he fit, still finished with like ten assists, eight or nine boards, and uh, I, I know he didn't, so it wasn't like his normal double double numbers and things like that. Look. Every player is going to go through a, a, a tough spe- uh, spell, and 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 it's okay. Like I, I'm not every time Sabonis has a bad game, I'm not going to go like you need more Sabonis. You can't like sometimes players are going to have bad nights. Mm-hmm. The only unacceptable aspect of last night's game to me was that Zubots completely outplayed him. That is unacceptable because to me that has nothing to do with the numbers that you're putting up and your struggles. That has everything to do with you're not putting in the effort. Like, Zubots completely outplayed him, was getting anything he wanted in the paint offensively. <laughs> was Like, was, he out-rebounded Sabonis. Uh, I don't know if their assist numbers were comparable. Certainly, Zubots had more blocks than Demontis Sabonis did. Like, Zubots is a journeyman, solid average starting center in the league. Demontis Sabonis, you are an all-NBA center. Even on a night where you're not scoring well or you're not grabbing a lot of boards. Like, I need you to at least minimalize the opposing center that you're playing, especially if that opposing center is not a all-star caliber center. Like if, if if you're beaten by a like a Nikola Jokic on Saturday, okay, yeah, it's it's Nikola Jokic, it's it's one of the best centers in the league. Joel Embiid sure, even a Bam on a bio from time to time. All right, fine, but a Zubats, even when you're struggling, you cannot get beaten down as bad as Demontis Sabonis was last night.
3: Well, don't get beaten down, Domas. Yeah. Do we over analyze Domas's bad games? We collectively, meaning you, me, all of us, everyone watching, listening.
4: I th- I think I think so in the sense that when it feels like when Domas is having a bad game, De'Aaron Fox is put on an island and when De'Aaron has to do kind of everything himself and go into everything himself mode, we look at the entire roster, right? We could question, hey, Kevin Herter, why weren't you hitting your shots? Man, if Keegan Murray's been struggling from three-point range this season, like there's different aspects from this roster that you can point to, but immediately you go to the partner in crime, the other all-NBA player, the the, the second best player on this roster, and you look at, hey, your star, your, your number one guy's doing this, where were you? So I think that's kind of natural, to, to to naturally kind of look at Sabonis and overanalyze Sabonis. And and I actually had a segment on last night's podcast where in, in the, the spirit of holiday the holidays, I was asking the audience, like, tell me if I'm being too much of a Scrooge or if I'm being fair. And that conversation that I just had about Demonta Sabonis came up because I feel like I would be being a Scrooge if I was upset about Sabonis having a bad night on the second night of a back-to-back because again, bad nights are going to happen. But I don't think I'm being a Scrooge with losing your assignment as bad as as sabonis did against a player that it's unquestionable that he's better than
0: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend
1: today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit
5: HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,
2: That's fair and you expect those things um from Domas. But to our original point, you know, it's, it's, it's one game. Uh, yep. at the end of the day, Domas is gonna be putting up close to twenty points and twelve rebounds a night. And I bet the next time he sees Zubak, I think they play like a week it's or so. Gonna something. get
3: these hands.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. There's gonna be there's gonna be some work given out. Yeah. So, um Yeah, I I agree. I think we we overanalyze it uh, for whatever reason. One of the reasons why I said that earlier, um, Matt, and tell me what you think is, Domas's game isn't centered around scoring so much. He's a ball distributor. His best trait, some would say his passing. I think it might be his rebounding. Um, But, hell, scoring might be his third best trait. Hmm. You know? And, you know, people don't really look at that. They look at All-NBA. They seem to do this with Draymond for whatever reason. He gets to be really good at one thing and garbage at everything else. But they, they don't do that for Domas. They don't say, oh, he's a great rebounder or uh, a great... Aside. But, you know, where's his 25 points per game? They don't do that for him for whatever reason.
4: No, I agree with that. And I I, I do think that, like, Domas' value is so far beyond just scoring. And, and that's where... That's where I had the biggest issue with the arguments against him and these center tier lists and the most overrated player nonsense that we saw coming out of Bleacher Report and crap like that all offseason long because it's focused on scoring. And I understand the NBA is a scoring league and the points cra- column is the first column we all look at when we look at a box score. It's just natural. But if you actually watched Demonda Sabonis play, you know that his impact on a game is getting everybody's scoring column to look better than his. Like that's what he does. That's that. That's what makes him the best. Too sometimes to a fault. Sometimes where it's like Domas go up, man. He like he'll pull down an offensive board and he'll be looking around for who's on the uh, who's open on three point range for the kickout. Like where's Kevin? Where's Keegan? And I get it, but also like Domas is capable of getting his. I was fr- the only thing with Domas that I was really frustrated about in the Warriors win was that like he he did not get outplayed by Kevon Looney. Kevon Looney barely did anything in that game. Mm-hmm. And I'm pissed because I, I I needed one more assist from Kavon Looney to actually uh, win on prize picks. But that's oh, a different selfish. story for another time. <laughs> How dare Kavon Looney. The one time I need him to do something, he doesn't do anything. <laughs> um, but Domas still passed up. He was still a little hesitant on taking those mid-range jumpers. And it's just like, ah, oh, just mm-hmm. take that mm-hmm. shot. Just take it. Like, and, and to me, it's just that's the Warriors being in his head still a little bit. And that's mm-hmm. it's natural. I understand that. Other than that, like I did not have that big of a problem with anything Domas did on Wednesday, even if I know, uh, was it Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. Even no, Tuesday. It was Tuesday. That was it was Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> even if I know it wasn't his best game, and then again, last night the main problem that I had with Domas was just him him, him being beaten down uh, by his assignment. So I, I think we do overanalyze Domas, and and we we focus too much on the scoring aspect of things when what he brings to this team and and the the irreplaceable element of Sabonis is what he does for everybody else, which is to us who actually watch the Kings obvious, but to so many people who don't watch the Kings who still write about the Kings seem to think that Sabonis isn't doing enough or isn't good enough for the all NBA label.
3: I do want to uh, talk about the Warriors game with you uh, a little bit, but before we do, you've brought up Sasha a couple of times. Feels to me, Sasha Vizenkov might be starting to like carve his spot into like the rotation. You obviously you got your starting five, of course, with Keegan back. You got your starting five. You know you've got Malik. Uh, you know you've got Trey. And now I'm starting to wonder if Mike's looking at this. Well, I know I've got Sasha we'll figure out the backup point guard thing and the backup center thing all of that but I know I've got those three I can go to. You think we're we're nearing that? Maybe are we there? Uh, he's he's looked really solid the last couple of nights.
4: I thought Sasha was superb at the end of the, the warrior game. I mean, for him to play 15 flirting with 16 straight minutes and to close that game down the way that he did. And it's, it's not just the scoring impact. Cause I think he only had like eight points, hit a couple of threes. Sometimes he took a couple of almost heat check threes without being hot. And I was like, Sasha, you, you, hero MVP. You're going for the big shot. And I appreciate you for it. Um, and he wasn't alone with that. Uh, sometimes the Kings settled a little too much for that three-point shot at the end of the Warriors game. But regardless, defensively, like James Hamm and I were, uh, were sitting next to each other, and, and I think James even made the comment to me last night, like he's so far beyond what I thought he was going to be defensively. And either he's improved dramatically over a short period of time, or he just is now finally getting the playing time and, and, and to kind of showcase it a little bit. Now, he can still get a lot better, right? Mike Brown's not ready to sing his pra- praises and label him as as an as essential a, a, a piece of an improved Sacramento defense. But he's working. He's, he's moving his feet a lot quicker than I thought he would. He's not just swiping at the ball, which former European players that have played for Sacramento have had issues with sometimes defending with their hands and swiping instead of using their feet. Sasha does a good job of using his feet. He's come flying in for, for blocks randomly out of nowhere. We're like, okay, Sasha, I see you. Like, I... It's gotten to the point where, and I, I know we've only had a small sample size of Trey Lyles because of the calf injury that he was dealing with, but
2: mm-hmm.
4: like JaVale, sit down. Alex Len is out. Like I, I need the four or five of Vizenkov and Lyles that we spent so much time talking about during the off season, of how do you get these two to play together? Because Trey Lyles is still a perfect fit player on this Kings team. Just an absolute perfect fit. Everything you need from a player of that position, Trey Lyle's provides Sacramento. He didn't have the best of games last night. Still had 11 points, I think. Uh, no, it was maybe 11 points against the Warriors. Either way, like he, he's really only had These one. These
3: back-to-backs or box scores are beating <laughs> up Matt George, man. I don't
4: know. Who knows? It, they all blend together. The Kings won one game. The other game didn't exist. Um, Fair enough. But like, Trey, Trey is just really, really solid, so he's got to play. And now Sasha... Like com- this might be a little unfair, but I'm watching Sasha and comparing Sasha to Chris Duarte or to Davion Mitchell, two completely different positions, mm-hmm. right? And I know that has an impact on things, but I see Sasha Vazenkov making a noticeable defensive and offensive impact pretty much every time he plays. Mm-hmm. With with Mitchell and Duarte, some nights, most nights, I have to pick one or the other, which is usually defense over offense, or some nights I'm not getting either. Like Chris Duarte, these two games as a starter, he's had some decent possessions guarding like Steph Curry and stuff like that, but Chris Duarte hasn't given me anything really on either end to make me excited, and that's why Mike Brown didn't end up playing him too much. Sasha comes in, and Sasha makes an impact on both ends of the floor that's noticeable and that affects winning, so I think he needs to be playing.
2: Uh, and that's what, that's what I'm saying. Shout out
3: to Drew Down. I'm sorry. This made me laugh. Got to go to Steve Kerr method and just pay your play your highest-paid players. <laughs>
2: I agree. Well, and, and one <laughs> of the things that we talked about is when everybody's healthy, we're assuming King, will, hopefully, Keegan will be back soon. You got your five, and it seems like the next three guys should be solidified with Trey, Malik. Mm-hmm. And is Sasha in that now for you, Matt? Or is it the whole argument, or not argument, but discussion was more about. Mike Brown not having a set rotation. Do you think it's be going to become more set once everybody's healthy or is this just how he's going to go about things where hey, some days it's going to be figured out. Yeah, it's going to be Sasha, some days it's going to be Kessler.
4: I'm okay with him doing that right now with Keegan Murray being out and the Kings trying to figure things out with back-to-back games, but he's had a 12 if we're not talking the, the players that came in when he waved the white flag at the end of the game. He's played 12 guys. Like Sasha was the 12th guy that he played against the Warriors. And last night he played his 12th guy midway through the second quarter. So it's a little bit of grasping at straws for Mike. And and, and I understand him looking at his bench and going, someone play the way I need to play because these guys that are playing aren't doing it. And that's where I respect him and and how he's different from Steve Kerr in the sense that if you're not giving it to him, he'll go in a different direction. I mean, he even played – like uh, he had Demontis Sabonis sitting down for a more extended period of time because Demontis wasn't giving it to him on the defensive end last night. Like Mike's not afraid to make that move, whereas as we saw Steve Kerr, hey Moses Moody, you're you're killing it right now. Sorry, Clay Thompson's got to play, Draymond Green's got to play. Come sit down. So like that's a that's a big difference to me. Once Keegan does come back, I do think we're going to start to see more of a set rotation again. Mike has had to to juggle injuries more to start the season than he certainly did last year. And when we see those rotations start to be set, Kenny, I, I agree with you. I think if it's if it's the solid set eight, I think Sasha is eight. I mean, Monk is 100% six. And I think Trey Lyles is, is yeah, if he's like not it. there yet, I, like I think he, Trey yeah. Lyles has to be seven. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I'm hesitant is just because he hasn't played as much with the calf injury. Mm-hmm. It's not because of who he is as a player. So I think Sasha's probably eight. And at that point, 9, 9 is freaking wide open. It could yeah. be Duarte, it could be Mitchell, it could be Keon Ellis, it could be Kessler Edwards, like not there are a lot of open opportunities for players if they step up right now. And as we know, Mike Brown is the land of opportunity. If you step up and show him what he wants, he'll play you. Hell, he might even start you next yeah. night.
3: And that's really what Sasha did uh against the the Golden State Warriors the night before. Um if you were to describe that game to someone who didn't see it, what would you start with? What would the first thing? Hey, I didn't get to see the Warriors game two nights ago. What would be the first thing you told me?
4: Uh Draymond Green almost wore a Kings jersey. Well,
3: <laughs> he with well, us. Well, he Draymond Green us. is
4: one of us. No, like, and that's the the fun that I had on the podcast, and and because like Draymond single handedly. Well, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I'll say this. Draymond single-handedly changed the game in favor of the Sacramento Kings in that fourth quarter. He did it himself. Mm -hmm. Like, the Golden One Center crowd, that wasn't Warrior fans, was struggling to get into that game. Mm -hmm. Like, when you're down 24, that's understandable. And I know the Kings were making a little bit of noise, and when Draymond picked up the technical foul, the Kings were up by nine. Mm -hmm. Warriors up up by nine. Sorry, yes, Warriors were up by nine. Malik hit the technical free throw to to, to bring him up by eight. And then Draymond decided, oh, I'm, I'm mad, I'm macho, I'm going to show people up again, and decided I'm going to guard Malik Monk with the full intention to hack him and send my message that has nothing to do with my team and everything to do with me. And that just fired up the Kings crowd even more. Man. And then Steve Kerr pulls him, but, that, but at that point, all the momentum is in the favor of the Kings, and lo and behold, when he comes back into the game three hmm. minutes later or whatever it was, the Kings were up one. So shout out Draymond Green. Like, Draymond deserves a massive assist. I said, don't give him the defensive player of the game crown because that belongs to the Kings, (laughs) but dust off the chain and put it around his neck and send him back to San Francisco with it and let him hold it for a day. Like, he deserved it.
2: Kings send send the chain to the Warriors locker room and a photographer so they can take a picture. (laughs) Somebody get the
3: fog machine. We got to send Rachel to San Francisco I uh, did, it did even I didn't I don't think it, we just watched the game a couple of minutes ago. It was on the TV. It, it didn't even dawn on me live. It really, as Matt was describing it, the ridiculousness of it hit me even stronger because even in those moments, point differential was so important in that.
2: That's a good point.
3: He just willingly gave it up. Like he, he like didn't even care. even if you are thinking, oh, we're still going to beat this team. If you if you beat the team by eleven, yeah. You got your regular season win, but you 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 don't advance to the to to the tournament. Like that was a thing, and man, it just it just amplifies how his poor decision making was such a strong selfish, influence on that game. How selfish he is! You know, that's what she and said. I didn't
4: even get to the best part, which is he comes back in the game. He has one defensive rebound. He has two def- He has two fouls. He misses a wide open three point shot, which is very on brand. And then, of course, he throws the ball away, which leads to the Malik Monk game winner. Like Draymond Green, number 23 in purple last night, really, I really, or the other night, really appreciate that from him because he, I mean, he, Malik Monk even said it after the game. Like, yeah, each, that's when the momentum changed. Shout out, shout out Draymond.
3: Steve Kerr didn't realize it until he saw the film. (laughs) Steve, (laughs) Steve, Steve Kerr pointed it out. I think it was with Willard and Dibbs yesterday is where he first said it. Um, it's so, like, yep, Draymond shifted everything. Oh, my bad on Moses Moody. Yeah, as
2: well. yeah, yeah. Uh, probably shouldn't I have done wrong. that. Man, probably I shouldn't just have done that. That man left
3: right. Poor Steve Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts and prayers, Steve Kerr.
4: Nah, he deserves it. Thoughts and prayers. He, de- he deserves uh, well. it. He, he was, he did a terrible job coaching at the end of the game. But I also understand. I think he's trying to salvage personalities more than win basketball games at the moment.
3: It was funny, man. You talk about like. DeAaron and Draymond, like Kevin Herter, gets no love for Damn, what he did two the nights new, ago. The new Harrison, like Kevin Herter. Herter, was fire on Tuesday night, but so much silly. I mean, Malik, all he had the
4: same amount of points as Malik yeah. did. Yeah, but that's but that's what's crazy though, because I, I I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter because I heard you discussing it yesterday. And Kenny, you brought up that Mike, like it seems like Mike has full freedom to make changes and make decisions that affect winning basketball games Mm -hmm. at the expense sometimes of, of players playing times and their egos and things like that. So I asked Mike about that before the game started last night. And like, I asked him how unique that was because Harrison has been playing really well. Harrison barely played in the second half of that game. Mm -hmm. Kevin Herter was the reason why the Kings probably weren't down by 30 in that first Mm -hmm. half. And Mm -hmm. Kevin Herter didn't do too much in the second half because he kind of pass the torch a little bit to Fox and Malik and and how that game ended and even Sasha to some extent. Like Mike has the freedom to, man, you did your job. You've been lights out in the first half. You've been playing really well recently. Right now, our best chance to win is you sitting down. And the players aren't upset about that. Or if they are, they keep that to themselves, which I think is what they're supposed to do as professionals. And they allow Mike to make the decisions to roll the dice, as Mike says. If he gets it wrong, he's the one that takes ownership First and foremost, and he always had in po- uh, has in post game press conferences. But when he gets it right, it, it's only it, it only reflects just the, the 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 chemistry that Mike has built here and the the just the the soul of the organization as he calls it. Right, and that was his speech when he first his introductory press conferences. Head coach, he talked about the soul of the organization and everybody has to be bought in. It just seems like it's so unique to this team that. It, I, I mean you can point to that alone as is, is a major reason that they've won maybe 20 2030 ball games already over the course of Mike's career here in Sacramento.
2: Yeah yeah, I agree. I, I think it's 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 super essential to be like you mentioned, just being able to do what's best for winning and it it fosters an environment of winning being the most important thing, not your contract. Not your playing time, your points per game, or anything else like that. I know that this guy next to me is about winning. That's what they can do in their locker room. I know he's about winning. We got the same game plan. We're going for the same goal. And that starts with Mike Brown. You know, that starts with Mike Brown. I think some of the stuff that happens when he allows his players to kind of push – if he's doing something – out of pocket, like arguing with the refs too much or anything like that and allowing Malik Monk to be like, hey, you're doing too much, coach. And he'd be like, you know what, you're right, you're right. I think that breeds uh, respect, that 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 breeds a camaraderie of sorts from the coaching staff and the players, and it gives them the leeway as coaches to go to them, go to a Malik Monk and say, hey, you're not handling business right now. I'm going to sit you or – um, you need to get yourself right because they respect that if the shoe's on the other foot and Mike isn't doing something he's supposed to do, that they can come to him and say the same thing. It's kind of yeah. a fine line a little bit. Yeah, it's tough. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. they're they're walking it perfectly right now.
4: You have to have a, a locker room that's willing to, to be coached. You have to have a staff that's willing to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a, ho- a head coach in the middle of it that has enough respect for everybody and self-respect and also a little bit of humility Mm -hmm. to be able to hold it all together like it's just something that like Mike I don't think will take credit for he told me last night that it is unique to this group and he'll give all the credit to the players for their buying in and all the credit to his staff for helping him out but it all requires Mike to kind of keep everything together. Mm. And I don't know. There are amazing head coaches in this league right now, hall of famers for sure. Like I know he's a student of Greg Popovich to some extent. I don't know if he learned this from pop. I don't know how many coaches can say they are able to do what Mike Brown is doing in Sacramento, not just winning, not just leading the Kings back to Mm -hmm. success, but getting this kind of buy-in managing it as well as he is while also trying to improve he's not doing this with a established superstar roster he's doing this with a roster he's trying to mold into a contender yeah
3: you excited for monday hell yeah i mean i know the kings play saturday i'm obviously talking about the in-season tournament like you you, you're 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 all in on the in-season tournament
4: i love it i love it um and i I hope the kings make it for a chance to go to to las vegas because that means i get to go to las vegas in december which i'm excited about but um so selfishly i'm rooting for it but it's also a chance at kind of a little bit of revenge against the New Orleans Pelicans, right? A, yeah. a team that might just be a bad matchup for Sacramento. Who knows? And that might suck that, hey, you won your group. Here are the Pelicans. Here's your consolation prize. So that's, that's the I guess, the case of the second seed. But you, you got beat twice in New Orleans by this Pelicans team. The second time, you had a chance to win that game and kind of let it slip away. So they're not unbeatable. Right. And you're, you're going to have your home floor, even though you're going to have, I guess, Pelicans colors now, because the Kings are just going to format their, their court to the colors of every team they play, apparently, because the Los Angeles Clippers <laughs> home court they threw out there last yeah, that night
3: it was, was ridiculous, kind of, that was a little goofy.
4: <laughs> but like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an old man about it and I will never <laughs> stop being an old man about it, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it and I think, uh, I, I think it's going to be fun and, and. God, I'm, I'm scared to even say this out loud, but I think back to Kings and Pelicans when everything shut down and that was a big game with playoff implications and stuff like that. Maybe this is a little bit of a makeup for that.
3: Mm. Okay. Mm. You want to weigh in on CM Punk before we go to uh, Thursday Night Football and the Cowboys and the Seahawks?
4: I just want Kenny to know that he's not alone because oh, I, 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 I saw the moment and I was just uh, like, I just. Uh. Oh my God.
2: are you are you um like not a, a punk fan or do you are you just indifferent about him
4: i i don't think punk provides enough in the ring for me to care as much as the wwe and cm punk and the wrestling world thinks i should care I think Punk is phenomenal on the mic, even though I thought his comeback promo was
3: a little toned down.
4: A little like it's it just it just felt like PG Punk a little bit, like it, and, and it was very similar to kind of his first AEW promo, which is like is, is are we just on the same path? Is something crazy going to happen? I'm intrigued to see because I like D-Lo, believe that if anything that happens in front of an audience is part of the show, mm-hmm. so the. the the Seth Rollins freak out, the Rhea Ripley, the Drew McIntyre, whatever it is that happened. Like, I think it's all part of uh, the part of the show. And I think the WWE would be foolish not to build on this idea that punk is hated in the locker room and, and and that he can overcome that. So uh, I'm not necessarily too worried about that aspect of it, but I watched a a few of punk's matches in AEW and he, I don't, I didn't think any of them were particularly good. I think he was carried by every wrestler he wrestled against. Mm. So, okay, we get Rollins versus Punk at Media, night one, main event, great. Seth Rollins better carry the hell out of that match. Mm, Punk not. will probably sell the hell out of the uh, the match itself, and the promos building up to it would be sick. But the match itself? I uh. think
3: you're underappreciating Punk in the ring. You are correct that the work in AEW wasn't particularly great. He is older now, so we've got to, you know, he, he's going to require guys like Seth and so on to to carry him. <laughs>